You know, as Mark was reading Psalm 46, I was struck by the fact that there was so much stress and, and trial and tribulation going on in that psalm as you read it, and yet the psalmist says, be still, be still and know that I am God. You know, last week I challenged you to, to take some time to, to be quiet, to be still before the Lord, to hear God. You know, in the busyness and, and, and the stress and the trials of, of, of life, to take time and to be still. And, you know, and as, I, as I worked at that, because it is, it's work, it's challenging to take that time, that dedicated time, just to sit and to be still and to meditate and read and, and, and be quiet before the Lord because there are all these things that are pull, pulling at us. And, and I find myself when I'm reading, wondering, you know, uh, what's been tweeted in the last five minutes and, and who's put a picture on Instagram and, and what's been posted on Facebook. And, and so our mind goes a million different directions and, and, and all of the other things that come along with that. And yet what God wants is just us to be still. And so I want to challenge you again. I want to encourage you again. Take that time to be still. In the busyness, in the hecticness, in the hard things of life, take that time to be still because that is where our strength comes from. That is where our, our hope comes from. No matter what you're going through or, or what life is throwing at you, it is the being still that gives you strength. And so continue to, 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 to work at that discipline because I believe it is a discipline. You know, talk about a comfortable cross today. You know, comfort is a very high priority for us. For Americans, there is a high priority put on comfort. There is a high cost paid for comfort. We love to be comfortable. We want our mattresses to be comfortable. We want our chairs to be comfortable. We want everything with comfort. We don't want to be stressed out. We want comfortable clothes and comfortable cars. And not that there's anything wrong with comfort. But there's a danger in loving comfort too much. And as we put more and more emphasis on being comfortable, it's become... Normal. We deserve comfortable. We deserve everything to be comfortable. But what, what the danger is in comfort is, is comfort, all of a sudden, it begins to creep into our churches. It creeps into our faith where, where we want our faith. We want the following Christ to be, to be comfortable. And we've become Christians that are, are all too accustomed to comfort. You know, when you came in here this morning, the, the driveway was plowed pretty well by Barry and, 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 and Corey. And, and when he walked in, it was nice and warm. And there, there were nice padded benches, chairs for you to sit on. And everything was very comfy. But what happens with that is pretty soon, 
Our environment's uncomfortable. It's comfortable. Everything that we do here is comfortable. And then we expect the gospel to become comfortable. We expect the messages to be comfortable. We want to walk out of here feeling good about ourselves. And I believe this whole thing of comfort is really what drives the prosperity gospel because the prosperity gospel is comfortable because we love comfort. You know, and Paul warned us of this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he challenged Timothy. He says, Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Then he says this, For a time is coming when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Because the world wants comfort. We don't want to be stretched. We don't want to be uncomfortable. And therefore, we want the gospel to make us feel good. And yet, as as I read scripture, as we go back to, to, to the original verse at the beginning of this series... I recognize that, that Christ's followers are to be cross-bearers. In other words, nowhere in Scripture does it say that as believers we are, have a right to be comfortable. Christ's followers are cross-carriers. Luke 9, 23, it says, If anyone would come after me, he must what? Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, is there anything about those verses that are comfortable? I don't think so. At least not for me. So, so what do we as, or what do those fans that are, are comfort craving fans What do they do with the cross? Because it's really pretty hard as believers to to, um, not look at the cross seriously, to avoid the cross. So what do we do with this verse, take up your cross? And I think... Even that, even the cross-bearing, we've taken that and we've tried to make it comfortable for us. You know, we hear, you know, these, these things, you know, we all have our cross to bear. When we're talking about, you know, they didn't have my, my kind of coffee at the store when I went to the store. Or, or there are these little uncomfortable things. I had to sit on a hard bench in a church, therefore I was bearing the cross. When in reality, it's not cross-bearing. It's just we have these inconveniences in our life. That is not cross-bearing. And so we push the cross to the back of, of everything we do. We don't want to hear about the cross because it's not politically correct, because it's too bloody and too gory for us, so we don't want to hear about it. 
and we find ourselves talking about things that we're comfortable with. You know, one of the things that, that I struggle with and that bothers me is that, that oftentimes in our, in our Bible studies, in our adult Bible fellowships, you know, we're more excited about talking about things like eschatology and figuring out when Jesus is going to come back than we are talking about what it means to, to pick up our crosses the way that Jesus did, what it means to bear our cross and to be like Jesus and together wrestle with what that means and wrestle with how we do that. And we don't hold each other accountable. When was the last time you went into a Bible study or into an ABF and somebody asked you, how did you bear the cross this week? How did you serve the Lord? What did your faith cost you this week? Because that, that's really uncomfortable and we are creatures of comfort. You know, Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How about if we begin to, to spur one another on in carrying the cross? How about we help each other carry the cross of Jesus and do what he's asked us to do, do what he's called us to do, to pick up our crosses and follow him. Let's encourage each other in that. You know, let's not settle for, for this comfortable cross that we're being sold by comfort-seeking fans. But here's the problem. You know, the cross is really a tough sell. You see, it's bad enough that Jesus had to die on this bloody, humiliating, torturous cross. But then he goes and insists that we carry our own crosses. Because, I mean, isn't it our desire to, to recruit new people? I mean, don't we want this, this sanctuary full, both services? And so if we begin to talk about cross-bearing and, and the blood of the cross and the humiliation of the cross, won't that turn people off? Won't they want to stay away? Because, because that's really a lot to ask of somebody. So we do our best to make Christianity sound appealing and as easy as possible because you wouldn't want somebody to be uncomfortable as a follower of Christ. And yet we go back and to, to Luke 9, 23. It says, if, if anyone would come after me, he would pick up his cross, the bloody, humiliating, torturous cross, and follow him. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And Paul here talks to us about how the world sees the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says this. He says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, Paul said, for, for, for those that, that embrace the cross, it is the power of God. But for those who deny the cross and don't like the cross and aren't willing to pick up the cross, to those, they are foolish. It says, they are perishing. 
You know, for those living in the first century, the cross was the ultimate symbol of weakness. For many of them, the message of the gospel, that that God came to earth in the form of a man, that he was crucified, is complete foolishness to, 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 to Jews who haven't believed that, that, that Christ came, why would God use this symbol of torture and death and weakness to save the world? Because, because to the Jew of that time, the cross was, a, was an ugly, brutal thing. Now for us, we see the cross as appealing. You know, because it's no longer used to execute people because the cross was used to execute the worst of the worst criminals. So what is beautiful about that? And so that's the way the first century Jew saw the cross. There's nothing appealing about it. But for us, we've grown accustomed to it. You know, we wear the cross around our our necks. We we wear them on our ears. We hang them on our walls. And we think it's a beautiful thing. And yet, if if a first century Jew would walk into our church and they would see crosses hanging and they would see you wearing a cross, they would think, you are warped. Why would you ever wear a cross on your, on your necklace? Why would you ever have crosses dangling from your, from your ears? It'd be sort of like if, if I would come in and, 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 and I would have um, an electric chair hanging around my neck. Or, or, you, or Lori would wear some, 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 some um, electric chair earrings that would hang down to here. We would look at her and we would say, what is wrong with you? Because it is, for us, it is a symbol of death, the electric chair is. And for them, the the, the cross was a symbol of death. The cross to them meant weakness. It was about weakness. But that's what makes cross makes the cross and carrying the cross so beautiful is the weakness that we see in it. You see, God takes what from a human perspective is foolishness, is weakness. He chooses that thing that has no glory and has no honor. He finds the least likely symbol for love and life. And he says, I'm going to use that. I will use the cross to show my love to the world. So he takes this, he takes what the world says is weak, foolish, shameful, and he turns it into the power of salvation. He takes this this awful thing and he uses it to save people from eternal punishment, to create a path through which man can be reunited with God. He makes something that is weak into something that is very beautiful. And yet in, in, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says that he turns this foolishness of the cross into the power of salvation. And then in verse 22, he goes on and he says, The Jews demand miraculous signs and the Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew and foolishness to the Gentile. You see, the Jew, it was a stumbling block. They wanted signs and miracles. They thought the Messiah was going to come and take over. They wanted to see things like they had seen in the Old Testament. 
They wanted miracles. And the Greek, they, they just thought this was foolish. They were all about wisdom. And yet God takes this thing and he says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. He takes what is weak and makes it strong. And, and who else but God could take this cross that represented defeat and could turn it into a symbol of victory? You know, who else but God could take this cross that, that represented guilt and make it into a symbol of grace? Who but God could take this, this cross that represented condemnation and make it a symbol of freedom? Who else but God could take this cross that represented pain and suffering and turn it into a symbol of hope and healing because that is what the cross is. A symbol of hope, a symbol of freedom, a symbol of grace, a symbol of life. That's what the cross is. And yet to the Jew and the Greek, it was foolishness. But no one else but God could take this weakness and make it something strong, make it something when, when it seemed like at this ultimate moment of God's weakness when Jesus was hanging on the cross, it really ultimately was the moment of God's greatest strength. He brought life through this weak symbol that the world looked at. Although The Jews and the Greeks thought it was stupid and, and, and weak. God used it for something great. Here's what I don't want you to miss today. You see, what God did for the cross in taking something weak and making it powerful, he can do for you. What God did for the cross, he can do for you. Let me explain. Look going down in, in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says that God chose the foolish things, which the, the foolish there, the low born. So God chose the low born, the down and outers. Those are the, the things of this world to shame the wise. He used the foolish things to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He uses this weak, he uses us as weak people to glorify himself. You know, it's when we are at our weakness is exactly where we need to be for God to use us. You see, it wasn't that God used the cross in spite of its weakness, God uses the cross because of its weakness, because it brings glory to him that he used this thing that, that had no hope, no life, and makes something incredible out of it. And Paul says here in 1 Corinthians that, 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 that God chooses the weak things to glorify himself. And when you look throughout Scripture, God continually chose the weak of the world to bring glory to himself. Think about it. Abraham was an old guy. 
He was 90-some years old, and yet God used him to birth a child. Moses stuttered, and yet God used him to, to, to free the children of Israel from Egypt. Samson was proud. David, remember, David had an affair, and yet God still used him. Rahab was a prostitute. She was immoral, and yet God used her. Jonah was, was disobedient, and, and Peter was impulsive and, and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. You know, the Samaritan woman had, had five failed marriages, and yet in all of their cases, God used them. In spite of their weaknesses, God used them to do great things for his glory. And there's just this long list of, of imperfect people that their weakness is used as a strength. Because ultimately when, when we as weak people do things for the glory of God, he is glorified. But we have to acknowledge our weaknesses and, and humble ourselves before the Lord if we want to put ourselves in a position to receive his strength. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, this is Paul speaking again in verse 12. He says, you know, and he talks about his weakness. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. But I have to learn the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says, despite my surroundings and what's going on in my life, in verse 13 he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He says, even though I am weak, even though I'm going through these hard things, these trials and these tribulations, I can do all things through Christ. When we acknowledge our weakness and that we can't do it on our own, then Christ can use us. If you go to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, this is Paul speaking again. Paul says, in, beginning in verse 9, the Lord says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. When I acknowledge, Paul acknowledged his weaknesses. In fact, he said, I delight in my weaknesses. How many of us delight in our weakness? But Paul says, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. How many of you delight in weaknesses and delight in hardships and, and persecutions and difficulties? No, we don't delight in that because that's uncomfortable. But Paul says, I delight in that because when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, when I'm being cursed, persecuted, and insulted, then Christ can live in me and through me. I delight in my weakness, Paul says. But for most of us, we don't delight in our weakness. In fact, we go to great lengths to, to, to disguise our weaknesses. 
to hide our weaknesses. But Paul says strength comes when we realize our weakness, when we realize we can't do things on our own and in our own power. When I recognize that, then God can use me for his glory. So I want to admit my weakness and I want to ask God to show his strength in my life. See, God can take you right where you're at. He can take the hardest things you're going through and he can make something incredibly wonderful out of it. And that's the test for all followers. Are we willing to, to, to bow our knee to him, to bow our problems and our weaknesses to him so that he can live through us, so that he can strengthen us because when we hold on to our weaknesses and, and to the stuff in our lives, then we can't, we can't live empowered lives because we're holding on to things ourselves. Will you trust God enough to let your weakness be his strength. Because it's when you let go, when I let go, when we let go of our need for comfort, our need to be in control, our need to receive glory for our strengths, our, our, our paychecks and our trophies and, and, and the approval of the people around us. It's when we're willing to let go of those things that make us comfortable. It's when we're willing to let go of them and become vulnerable that God can use us and use our situation. So I want you to let go of whatever it is that keeps you from abandoning a comfortable version of the cross and be willing to take up your cross. It's then that, that, that God does in our lives what he did in Christ's death on the cross. He takes followers who are hanging on by a thread and he empowers them to live a life that brings honor and glory to him. He takes followers who, who are defeated and he turns their testimonies into life-giving messages of truth and hope for his glory. You know, I don't know where you're at this morning. I'm not sure what your weakness is. I'm not sure what you're struggling with. I'm not sure what you're not willing to give to God. But I do know as I read God's word, it says when I give him those weaknesses, when I give him my life, he will empower and strengthen me to live a life that will bring honor and glory to him. Because that's ultimately what he desires. In closing, I'd like to read 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, beginning at verse 27. And I want to read this out of the message. So, so just listen to this. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? 
chooses these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That is why we have the saying, if you're going to blow your horn, blow a trumpet for God. See, God uses the weak people, the nobodies of the world to expose the somebodies. He uses us to bring glory to himself. He desires for us to blow a trumpet for him, to bring honor and glory to him. The NIV says of verse 31, it says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That is my prayer for all of us, that in the midst of our weakness, in the, we, in the midst of, of the hard things, of picking up our crosses and following him, that we could boast in the Lord. And that, that God would be glorified through us and through our weaknesses. Stand with me as we close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for for just this, this incredible truth that you used, um, you used a, a terrible cross, a sign, a symbol of weakness, and, and you made it powerful. Thank you that you take the weak things of this world And you use them to bring glory to yourself. Thank you that you use weak individuals like us to bring glory to yourself. And Lord, may we lay our weaknesses down. May we look at the cross and and be inspired and, and receive our strength. Lord, may we be foolish for you. May we be fools for you so that you can be glorified. Empower us today to pick up our crosses every day, every morning, and follow you so that you would be glorified. And Father, may we spur one another on, may we encourage each other to carry our crosses. And Father, I thank you for each person that is here. I pray, Father, for safety as we travel home. Lord, I thank you for this meal that's been prepared for us. Lord, I pray that you would bless it. You would bless our conversation and and the food that has been prepared. And, And Lord, through it, Lord, you would be honored and glorified. It's your name that we pray. Amen.